This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. So last week uh, I had uh, a very unique experience. For those of you that were here, you know that my father passed away last Sunday morning. As I was waking up, that's what I was processing and so the message I had for last week got moved to this week, uh, and last week uh, I had a completely different plan that sort of unfolded. It was very, very meaningful to me uh, just to walk through that with God, the intimacy that is created in and through challenges or sufferings or loss is uh, it's beautiful. It really is how God cares for us and how there's an extra measure of grace available. Uh, this one is called No More Guff, and we could put an exclamation mark uh, behind guff, and it would be accurate. Uh, it's sort of, I, I've had various messages throughout the years that just sort of make a statement, uh, and this is something that is a statement. Uh, Leslie and I had uh, a statement that we used to carry around before Ellerslie started, and it was no more miscarriage, and we had another one, no more downtime. And uh, where we recognize that there's certain baits where we accept certain things, like when God gets a hold of life and he starts it, he finishes it, uh, he brings it to completion. In other words, he doesn't abort or miscarry. So I want to go after that pattern. I want to go after God's agenda in this earth, but starting in my life, because we would see that there were certain things that we would begin and we'd feel like God was doing them and then they would fall to pieces. And I would call that a miscarriage. But the, here's the thing. I began to realize that Leslie and I were allowing it to at a certain point. It's like, oh, well, I guess God doesn't want that anymore. So instead of fighting for it and saying, no, this is started by God. Therefore, he desires to finish it. Therefore, I participate in the continuance of it as opposed to just letting it go. It became sort of a, a key phrase in our souls. And no more downtime. Uh, we recognized that we had an idea of sort of turning off our spiritual life for little pockets of our day. It's just like, okay, here's my spiritual time, and now here's the me time. And the more we got familiar with the kingdom of heaven and the way it's structured, we recognized that me time doesn't exist in the kingdom of heaven. It's all Jesus time, which means I'm always on. I'm always engaged. I'm always abiding. I'm never detached from God and turned off. And as a result, that actually, I know as depressing as that might sound to never have downtime in the sense that the me side of you would crave, that is when we begin to open up a whole new level of intimacy with Christ because he wants to share our lives with us all the time. I don't turn off my marriage. I don't turn off my kids at a certain time, even though there are moments when you wish you could turn off your kids for a little, right? Have you ever had that? It's like, oh, where's the dial? Uh, and yet, we don't do that. We are always a parent. We are always a, a, a spouse. Well, we're always a Christian. And so those are key statements. And so here's a new one for you if you uh, are, like those types of bold statements for your soul, and that is no more guff. 
I'm going to define guff as we get into it. Guff is sort of a, I don't know if we'd call it an Eric Ludi word. It's just sort of, it's a fun word. It has a little uh, personality to it. Like if, if there was a guy named Guff in here, you could almost describe what he looked like. He'd be a little frizzy haired and a little, you know, he'd probably have a beard, right? His name would be Guff. And Guff is somewhat of a fuzzy, uh, furry uh, little creature, uh, and at least in my mental, mental picture. So I like the word but it, it says something. You'll see it even in my subtitle to this particular message, dismissing all the humbug from your life. You know that one of the definitions of guff is humbug? I thought I liked that, especially since this was originally going to be delivered one day after Christmas, right? And so, you know, humbug is like a Christmas word, isn't it funny, because of the Christmas carol? Uh, and so I liked that. Guff and humbug are the same thing. So no more humbug. And of course, that doesn't describe to you what this message is, because you need to go, we need to go a little deeper in understanding. But this is something that Leslie and I, we, we've never used the term no more guff until the last, I'd say, month, where it's become more of a very clear statement, is that some guff has begun to come in around the edges of our life, and some, the way guff works, it works very slowly. It's like the movement of the hour hand on a clock. Its strategy is that if it moves slow enough, you will not notice the movement. And it's true. Uh, it's, it creeps. And it actually, if you allow it to progress, it sort of brings a, a coating or a barnacle layer to your life which hinders certain functions of your life that God designed you for. And that's why I have a fresh statement for our soul this morning, which is no more guff. 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is an anti-guff scripture right here. You see, when you know your position, you know that you are a child of the Most High God. You see, my children know that they're a child of Eric Ludi, which might not sound that impressive. I recognize that. But as a result, they know that they're probably going to uh, sleep in a bed tonight and have food on the table in the morning. How could they be so certain? Because they understand that as Papa Eric works, I'm working and laboring to ensure certain things for their life. It's interesting, but we are children of the Most High God, and yet we don't have the same confidence in our spiritual life that God is caring for us in the most basic ways. Remember Jesus in his big speech, Matthew 6, where he goes and he, he talks about the fact that, you know, the, uh, the, the Gentiles or the, the pagans or the heathens seek after these things, but I tell you, seek first the kingdom of heaven and my righteousness, and all these things, shelter, clothing, food, will be taken care of. You make me your focus, I'll take care of you, says God Almighty. We are children of the Most High God that has promised to care for us. You see, Eric, I could make promises, but I'm a, I'm a human. I could pass away today, right, and not be able to fulfill my statement of saying, I'll make sure that you get fed tomorrow. You see, I, I want to, and I'll do my best to, and that's, a, that's an issue of an integrity in my soul, but God is fully capable of doing it. It doesn't matter what the enemy you know, brings up. God will accomplish his ends. Our job is to trust that. Do you recognize that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world? If you know that, you don't take guff. 
Joshua and Judges. This is a combo package of what we could call the Mountain of Giants uh, story. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb unto this day because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And he expelled thence the three sons of Anak. This is like the mountain of giants historically. The sons of Anak are the most fearsome and feared out of all the enemies of Israel. I mean, they're giants, right? And they're the giants of the giants. They're like the, the captains of the giants. And Caleb says, I want that mountain. What? Uh, you do know who lives there, right, Caleb? That's where the sons of Anak live. He says, yeah, I want that mountain. How many of you are doing that in your soul? See, this is a no more guff type of scripture. It's like, but the sons of Anak are there. Let's just let them have it. I don't care if the sons of Anak are there. Did God give us that territory or not? Well, yeah, I mean, technically, according to you know, his description, it is in the territory. Well, then, who has the audacity to go take it? Caleb does. I want Hebron. Are you sure you want Hebron, Caleb? I mean, that's like a dangerous place. I want Hebron. There are some places in your life, Hebrons, where the enemy may still claim it's his territory. And what God is desiring is for you to get a growl in your soul that says, no more guff. The sons of Anak have no power to remain. Greater is he that is in you than he that is on Mount Hebron. But you need to rise up and kick it out. And this is what no more guff is all about. The enemy will creep onto that territory of promise and that's why we must be guardians of it. 1 Kings 18.27. This is, again, a no more guff type of passage. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. Okay, now you have to know the story to really appreciate that. But this is like, he's like the lone prophet left in Israel. Jezebel, the queen, has like annihilated all of them, right? And now... Elijah stands up, and the reason that this is even allowed is because he seems to control the rain, and Ahab really wants rain to return to Israel. So, as a result, it needs to be on Elijah's terms. So, there's a showdown. The, the prophets of Baal and the grove against Elijah. One man against hundreds. And what does Elijah do? Uh, not very wise, Elijah. What are you thinking here? You're the one guy against a nation, basically. And he mocks them. You see, he understands that the one he represents is truly all-powerful. He knows it. Do you know it? Do you know it in your own life? Do you know it in your own marriage? Do you know it in your own family? You know where all the guff is creeping in? Are you willing to stand your ground and hold that enemy in contempt, you are defeated. I am a child of the Most High, and I know my position. You see, many of us have been accepting guff, and some of us even that are accepting guff right now didn't accept guff five years ago. But then guff sort of began to creep in. And once guff creeps in, it squats. You guys ever heard the term squ a squatter on property? Yeah, he doesn't have legal right to it. But if you don't do anything to kick him out, it begins to feel like that is his territory. And of course, that's the ambiance he wants to give out. It's like, oh, you know, this is where I live. This is mine. 
I've had it for a long time, and yet he actually legally has no position to stay there. He has no argument, no ability to stay there if you exert the authority that you possess in Christ Jesus. Supersensitivity. Now, that I probably should have said uh, super spiritual sensitivity because supersensitivity makes it sound bad. You know, like, oh, you're super sensitive for that. However, there is a level. You know, like how you can be super sensitive to dander from a dog or from, you know, some uh, uh, pollen in the air, and it's called allergies, right? But there's also something that we're designed for, and that is to be sensitive to the Spirit of God at a heightened level. You see, when you're sensitive to the Spirit of God, when guff begins to creep in, the Spirit of God goes, <clears throat> no guff. And you see it. It's actually called temperance or egretea, which is also known as translated self-control. It's like a thermometer or some kind of uh, system that goes, eh, 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 when there is encroachment upon your territory. But when you begin to get a little soft around the edges and you begin to lose that athleticism to your spiritual life, many of us in here that have ever been in shape, we, we know what it's like to not be in shape. It, because there's a distinction between the two. When you're really in good shape, sometimes you don't realize you're in really good shape because you're just in good shape, right? But then when you fall from that fitness level, you're very aware of it. And you feel sort of blubbery and slow. And I remember the other day, I, I used to always have springs in my legs and I could jump higher than anyone else, you know? So the other day, I don't remember where it was. I think it was in our house. And we have a pretty high ceiling in our living room. But it's not so high that Eric Ludy can't jump up and grab a, a balloon off the ceiling or something like that. It's like, oh, that's in my range. So the, the other day I came out there and I, I tried to jump up to get some. I think all the kids were around too, which was extra humiliating. And I missed it by a good foot. It was like, Oof. And I felt like I had lead in my legs. And it's like, what has happened to me? You turn 51 and this is what happens? However, I do know the distinction between springs and what I just went through there, right? It's like, okay, Eric's missing something. And that is the same for our own soul. God wants us to be limber and athletic, and we should be aware when we're missing something. And when we're missing something spiritually, we don't accept it. We immediately go to work and we say, okay, no blubber ring around the middle for my spiritual life. I need springs in my legs spiritually. So Lord Jesus, get me fit again. And we take it very seriously. That's what no more guff is all about. Hey, let's get back into shape, guys. So here's my description of that proper sensitivity. Spiritual athleticism that comes from diligent application of truth and watchfulness over the inner man. So there are certain seasons when I know that I'm very sharp in, in areas. And there are seasons when I begin to realize, it's, it's sort of frustrating too because I didn't realize that I had declined in my sensitivity until certain things happen. Like so there's a bad attitude or I'm extra irritable. I'm like, well, where did that come from? And I begin to realize that I've allowed guff to sort of creep in around the edges and I didn't recognize it, which really bothers me. It's like, oh, because that shows a lack of spiritual sensitivity on my part as well. And so I remember one, one of my illustrations would be with sleep. Sleep is a barometer of, of things in your life. And when sleep rules you, uh, it deadens certain aspects of your life. Like, for instance, to get up 
early and pursue Jesus or to get up early and exercise? Oh, boy. You see, you're being ruled by sleep instead of sleep being a servant to your agenda, to God's agenda in and through your life. God has an agenda in your life, and sleep is a part of it. He's not against sleep. However, sleep is supposed to be a servant. It's not supposed to rule you. Money does the same thing. If money's over you, it deadens your life. It's the root of all evil. But if money is under you and it becomes a servant, then it doesn't hold you. You can give it all away if necessary. It doesn't control you. Sleep and money are similar in that regard. And so I remember this one season where I was so sharp in my sleep. And of course, like I said, when you're sharp in something, you don't always appreciate it because you're just sharp. You're in good shape. But I, I was continually pressing forward in the fact that I wanted this. I wanted to be able to be awakened at any time by the Holy Spirit to pray for someone and without a grumble and without a complaint, but with joy. And I was in that zone. And then have you ever gotten out of a zone where suddenly it's a real pain in the neck to be awakened in the night and to need to do something? And you realize, I think I lost something. It's like trying to jump in the Ludi living room and missing that balloon by a foot. It's like, okay, something's wrong. If there's some guff in your life, what do you do? Well, you get it out. The slow return of guff. Don't you guys want to write a children's book, something about guff? He needs to be a character in some, some children's book. It happens so slowly that you don't realize that guff is back in town. So let's define guff. Nonsense and humbug. Isn't that interesting that that's the official definition of guff is nonsense? It's nonsense. You know how much of us, how many of us in here accept nonsense in our life? You know, it's interesting because our culture is being ruled by nonsense right now. In fact, that's one of the best ways of describing it. It's not logic. It's not scientific fact. It's a whole bunch of nonsense that has created a cultural political correctness and a social correctness that we either comply to and have peace or we push back against and don't have peace, right? It's like, what a weird world we live in. Guff has crept into our culture. Now, guff may creep into this culture, but it shouldn't creep into the church, and it shouldn't creep into our marriages, and it shouldn't creep into our families. It shouldn't creep into our individual souls. So yes, guff is creeping into our culture, but it cannot come into the church, and it cannot come into us. Let's remember that. So here's a really good definition of guff. Dark whisperings dished out for the sole purpose of distraction, demeaning, devaluing, disturbing, and depressing. You ever had it where there's a little character on your shoulders right near your ear and he whispers to you all day long and he's talking about how pathetic you are, how ridiculous, you should have done this, you didn't do this, the reason you have problems in your life is because of this. He's an accuser. This voice, this guff is encroaching and the more ground you give him, the louder he gets. And pretty soon, if you listen to Guff, you might as well take your life. You have no value whatsoever. You are a joke. No one cares about you. It leads to self-pity. It leads to discouragement. It leads to despair. Guff has no place in the Christian life. That is not the voice of God. That is not what God thinks. And so as a result, we need to know how to recognize the voice of Guff, and we need to know how to turn the volume down. The land of promise. You guys remember the land of promise, Old Testament? 
You know, you have this territory, and this is what's promised to the Israelites. Remember, they're in bondage in Egypt, and between Egypt and that promised land is this wilderness territory, and unfortunately, the people of Israel get stuck in the wilderness instead of entering that land of promise. And of course, after a generation, they all die, and then Joshua is going to lead that next generation into a territory, but it's a defined territory. It's not a guess, let's figure it out as we go. God has defined boundaries, borders to this territory. Now, I'm going to say that God has given us the same thing in the New Testament. He has given us a boundary, a territory of shed blood. And he says, this is what I have purchased for you. You know, it's interesting because the Israelites, it's not that they should just go and try and conquer Great Britain or conquer Japan. It's just that they were given a very specific territory. And if you're given a specific territory with a specific promise, I will fight for you. Wherever your feet shall touch or tread, I will give it you. Whoa! Wouldn't you sort of want to stick your foot as many places as you could? However, it's defined. You have the River Euphrates, you have the Great Sea, you have the Jordan River. You have this territory that is actually created. Many of us as Christians, we dream outside the territory of promise, and we're like, why can't God give me that territory? Well, he gave you this. <laughs> this is what he promised you. But if he promised you something and you don't take it, uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? If you have territory to take, why wouldn't you take it? And this is where Guff comes in. Guff is always whispering about territory outside the land of promise, saying, hey, what about that? And it wants to make it seem like he owns the land of promise. Sort of like the Philistines. Remember Goliath and his four brothers? You know, they're hanging out there in God's territory. What in the world are they doing there? They don't belong there. That's the land of promise. I, I thought we got rid of all these giants. And yet Guff has a tendency to creep in and then take control and then create a fight. Are we going to be like David who shows up at the battle and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would dare defy the armies of the living God? This guff is going down. And David doesn't just grab one stone, he grabs five. One for Goliath, and you got four brothers to go down. He's taking them down. Whatever David has, we need. This is precisely what we need in our lives right now. So the land of promise, listen to this statement. The fact that it is given doesn't mean it's taken. You have been promised things. You're a child of the Most High God. You have inherited a tremendous territory of promise. But that does not mean that you have set the sole of your feet in faith upon it and taken it in the authority of Christ. And as a result, today, the key for all of us is to freshly awaken to the realities that there is a promised land for us. It is sealed by the blood of Jesus. It is gained by the blood of Jesus. And the way we honor our God came to precisely what he promised. Deuteronomy 11, 22 through 25. For if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours, from the wilderness and Lebanon, 
from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he said to you. Wouldn't it be nice? Because I'm just going to look at your individual life, because that's what Leslie and I have been going over is our individual lives, our thoughts, our emotions, this territory right here, even the physical health of our bodies, that God has a plan and a purpose for the body, the life of Eric Ludi, for the marriage of Eric Ludi, for the family of Eric Ludi, for the church of Eric Ludi, for the ministry of Eric Ludi. However, I need to exert in that territory to stake claim to what God has promised, as opposed to like, hey, God, why don't I have this? To say, I mean, imagine the Israelites saying, why are there still uh, giants in our land? Well, it's not because God said, hey, let's have some giants in the land. It's because you did not pursue them. You did not drive them out according to my purpose and my promise. I told you to take the territory. I told you not to make covenant with the people. I told you not to enter into league with them, to not share in their gods and to mention them in your prayers, but to make sure that you stayed mine. And if you do, I will always fight for you. I will go before you. I will take this territory. You need to take this body that you have and move it in that direction, though. There is a participation that we have. And so Eric's thought life matters. This is territory, and I want to take it for Jesus Christ so that every thought in my mind matches the scriptural pattern. Think on these things, says Paul in Philippians. Is that what I'm thinking about? Am I thinking about things above, or am I thinking about what's going on in the world? Because you start thinking about what the devil is doing in the world, and you could get down in the dumps really quickly. Don't participate in that. That's the way the world functions. You participate according to a different pattern. You think on things up here, not on things down here. And the same is true in so many other areas of our life. But we start with our individual life, and we say, imagine having the fear of our God fall upon all those elements in our life that are hostile to our God's purposes. Could you imagine they're going, oh no, Eric's awakened. That's exactly what they should be doing. They realize that there is nothing in my life that could possibly stand against God's agenda. God is greater than anything that could possibly stand against him. And if I stand for him, well, then nothing can stand against him. In my life, in my marriage, in my family, in this church, we have something very special as the church, but we have to stand up and begin to wield it. The first man is unable to take this territory. This is a job for the second man. So we have this territory, it's defined, but this is a principle that's very, very important. In this story of Moses unto Joshua, Moses couldn't take the land. He's a first, and he's symbolic of the law. It's only the second, Yeshua, the same name as Jesus, that can actually lead the people into the territory. So how does this affect us? Why does that matter? You have a first dimension to your life and you have a second dimension to your life if you are a believer. If you are a believer, you are born again. You become a second man. You are grafted into Jesus Christ. You transfer from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of the dear son. 
And if you try and function in taking the territory of your life in your own strength, in your own power, you will fail. It cannot be done that way. But if you humble yourself and you give up your first life and you believe in Jesus and you allow Jesus to work in you and through you and the power you are exerting is God in you as opposed to you attempting to marshal a good and pure and perfect life, if you function according to the second, you will succeed. And as a result, like we see the pattern in all of history, the taking of this territory is taken by the second. 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Not Moses, but Joshua. Moses couldn't bring them in. Joshua brought them in. The same thing is going to be true in your life. It's not the flesh, which is the first. It's going to be by the power of the Spirit. It's not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. You see, this is how it is done. It is done by the Spirit of God, the second. Not Saul, but David. So Saul has a problem. He has the giant standing against him, Goliath boasting in the valley of Elah. And Saul does not have the capacity, though he is a massive man. He would have been the giant of Israel. He, he was said to be head and shoulders above all of Israel. So if anyone is going to fight Goliath, it should be the Israel's giant. Hey, Saul, you can do it. He has armor, obviously. He has everything he needs, but he's scared to death. He's unable to deliver his people from this guff that is encroached upon him. What do we need? We need a second. We need a David. And David stands up and doesn't just take care of the guff, but then begins to drive it out. And that is the pattern. Not Adam, but Jesus. You see, all of us are born in Adam. It's called the old man. And we are descendants of him. But when we believe in Jesus, we transfer into a new genealogical line. We are now grafted into Christ. And so as a result, we are able to function in these bodies in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, in a completely different fashion. What is the second man after? The full territory of promise. You see, what is Jesus Christ desirous of in your life? He's desirous that that which was purchased on the cross would be realized in your life. And yet, so many of us accept defeat we accept what I was terming earlier as miscarriage, where the loss of life, where God is starting something and then it just sort of fizzles out. But that isn't how God works. When he begins something, he brings it to completion. So therefore, are we in agreement with what his agenda is? Are we saying, this is how my God works, I'm walking with him. Hey, he wouldn't accept this in my life, well then I don't accept it either. In other words, he is taking territory. If Philistines are standing in your life, Boasting in the Valley of Elah, well, drive them out. There is no authority that they possess that is greater than something you have in Christ Jesus. You have the upper hand. If God be for you, who can stand against you? He who is in you is greater than he who is standing against you. Joshua 18.3, and Joshua said unto the children of Israel, and we could have him say this unto us too, how long are you slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Why are you slack to do it? 
Well, I mean, there's some big, mighty giants over there. Yeah, I, I understand that. In other words, the enemy works in fear. He wants to sort of cast a large and a, a tall shadow over here. It's like, do you see how big he is? You see, the enemy works with something I would call black magic. And I'm not against magicians or anything like that, even though it might sound like it when I say this. But it's illusion. He doesn't actually have power. Have you ever watched a really good magician and you actually think they have a supernatural ability? There you go with the devil, too. The devil works with illusion, sleight of hand. He wants you to believe that he is all-powerful. He is not. In fact, he is a defeated foe. So as a result, our job is to not believe the illusion of the enemy, but the facts of God, the truth of the Scripture. And when we build our life on God's truth, we can stare in the face a really good magician's work right in front of us and say, hey, I'm powerful. I can control you. I can cut you in half. That's that's the classic magician uh, thing. And yet we say, my God is great. How long are you slack to go to possess the land, which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Joshua 21, 43 through 45. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. And the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Wow. Could you imagine if that was the description of your life? That is supposed to be the description of each of our lives that participate in Joshua's taking of the territory. Has he failed in any word? No. Has any enemy been able to stand against you? No. There's peace all around in your soul, in your marriage, in your family, in your church. The enemy does not rule here. This is not his territory. No more guff. 2 Samuel 8, 1 through 15. After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. So what has happened? 2 Samuel. Remember at the very beginning of 2 Saul is dying and David is going to enter into his kingdom. David is going to go after the land of promise. And David took Methig Amma from the hand of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab. And David also defeated Hadadzezer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah, as he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. When we go to recover our territory in the spirit of Christ, in the spirit of David, in the spirit of Joshua, we will recover it. David is going to be supernaturally preserved as he goes after the boundary. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. See, it said it twice. I, obviously, I wanted to pull that out for you. So David reigned over all of Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. Expanding the borders. So I, this is just a list of 20 uh, heavenly promises. And as we go through this, I just want you to evaluate. Do you have this in your life? And if you don't, should you? Is this part of God's promise? Like, for instance, I could come up with a whole bunch of things that are not part of God's promises. In other words, that you drive around a Lexus. I I don't see that in Scripture, right? But you could say, but God, you know, the neighbor down the road who's a Christian drives around a Lexus. Why can't I drive around a Lexus? That's not in the territory of promise. 
you having a Learjet, you being able to fly, you know, without any help from an airplane and just sort of float around, not part of the promises. But there are certain things that are part of the promises. And if we aim correctly in God's word and in God's territory, then whatsoever we ask in his name will be given to us. Our problem is we oftentimes are asking outside the boundary, wondering why we're not getting what we're praying for. But if we stare at the territory that God has given us and we go after that in the authority of Jesus, it is a guarantee slam dunk that we do. So let's look at 20 heavenly promises worth taking. Number one, love shed abroad in our hearts. You ever felt a little thin in your own love? Well, it's not supposed to be your own love that you work through. Jesus Christ is supplying you all the love you could ever need. In fact, the word shed abroad is like massive overflow. It's like Niagara waterfall. So as a result, you are not shortchanged. The question is, do you have what he has promised you? What he, do you? Have you taken that which he has given? He has given you love to shed it abroad in your heart. How about this? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. The fact that he is given is true. The fact that you may not have taken could also be true. In other words, these are territory issues. This is something that God staked claim for us. That he said, this belongs to you. I desire you to walk in this. And so instead of saying, well, it's just not my personality to walk around with joy unspeakable and full of glory, this has nothing to do with your personality. This has to do with his purchase. He has given us the territory. The question is, are we walking in it? Number three, peace that passes all understanding. I mean, these are almost too good to be true. You almost feel like we should turn off the screen and go, okay, I can't handle it. I'm already sort of stymied after just three of these. Peace that passes all understanding. It's such a peace that governs your life and your heart. It doesn't matter what's going on out there. It's not based on circumstances. It's not, it's not based on current world conditions. It's not based on financial economy. It is not based on anything but the, the work of Jesus Christ, the stabilizing care of your God over your soul. You have a peace that is beyond description, it passes all understanding. It is so rich that you have no ability to even describe it. A protected life, number four, fortress by the Most High, impervious to the harassment of darkness. I've used the illustration many times with my family that, you know, in our living room, and especially when it's negative, what was it, like negative 14 out last night? A house is vulnerable, and if you have any leaks or weaknesses in the windows and the doors, uh, they stand out. I have all sorts of funny things set up in my house to try and block uh, gaps uh, because my house is aging. And so little gaps are there. And so I have towels here. I have tape over different things. And it's quite the humorous thing. If you were to take a visit to our house, uh, it's quite humorous seeing where I have towels and where I have blankets and everything uh, set around to block gaps. However, the enemy is like that where he wants to seep into your life. And what God has promised us is to be our refuge and our strength. He has promised to be a wall about us just like a wall was around Jerusalem that Nehemiah built that is solid. It doesn't have a big crack in it. What's the good of a wall if you have a big hole in it that the enemy can just traipse through? In other words, it's supposed to be sealed, a completed circle around you. 
And this is my question for you. Do you have that? Or does the enemy have access into your life? The enemy gains access in and through all sorts of various measures. In other words, our disobedience, when we know what we ought to do and we don't do it. Like, for instance, if I told my kids, close that back door after you take the dogs out tonight, right? And then they leave it open. That disobedience actually allows the outside air to creep into the house. And all of us are feeling it, believe me, especially after last night. And in the morning, should I be shocked that there's a snow drift on my couch? You see, it is the results of disobedience. It's not that God designed the house to function that way. It's that when we live in disobedience, it opens up our house to outside guff. And so if we realize that we have the door open and we have some guff that has crept in, what should we do? How about we close the door? In other words, it says, oh, it's been open too long. Now I can't close it. Close the door. And the moment you close the door, did you know that the solution is already in place, even though you have some frost and some wet piles that now are melting inside the house? And if your furnace functions as it ought, it should overcome this terrible uh, blight to its, you know, its powers overnight, and you can recover your house, right? This is how the Christian life works. Number five, strength and energy for the things of God, sharpness and focus, tenacity for truth. I used to really struggle with what I will call the blur. I don't know if any of you have the blur. I don't know if it's a male thing or if women have it too. But there were times when I was very sharp and clear, and I could see and understand Scripture, and I could, I could get it, and it's like I would tell Leslie, get out a pad of paper, I have some thoughts. And then other times where I could not see straight, and it was like, ah, I just can't remember that. It's weird, but I accepted it. It's just a blur, okay? It wasn't sharp. It wasn't a soundness of judgment. It was like some kind of weird fog. And so, I don't know, three, four years into our marriage, we've been married 27 years right now, so it gives you an idea of when this happened. Leslie and I began to realize, what if I didn't accept my blur? I mean, what a novel thought. What if I just said, I believe that God intended me to have a sound mind always. And guess what? I've had a sound mind ever since. Once I took the stand and I said, no more, then suddenly my world began to change. Well, you know how much that actually begins to instruct me then? It's like, what else have I been accepting? We accept a lot of guff that most of us have never been awakened to because we live in a culture of guff. And when most of the church is surrounded and barnacled with guff, it's hard to notice the guff that is there that should actually be broken off. Number six, power to be honorable and above reproach in every thought, attitude, word, and deed. That God actually desires our life to be marked by honesty, truth, and integrity. And he gives us power to live that way. Seven, constancy and devotion as opposed to being devoted to Christ one day and then forgetting about him the next and oh, and remembering Christ you know, a couple of weeks later and then oh, fall into pieces again. God desires a constancy in our life and he'll give us the grace for it. Don't accept anything other. Number eight, triumph over personal sin. Unfettered, unfettered in something up there that isn't on the screen. Not sure why it's not on the screen, but it's not on the screen. Unfettered in your daily life, I don't know, something like that. Number nine, triumphant over personal sickness made strong to be poured out. This is a controversial one because, you know, the guy talking to you isn't just this guy that's always talking about divine healing. Hey, if you have a sickness, you should be healed. However, this is what I do believe. I believe that you have a calling on your life. And I believe that that calling to be fulfilled, you need sustenance physically. You need to be able to make it. 
the distance. And so as a result, I want to fight along with you for that in your life. That if you need your physical health to be able to fulfill your commission, well, then guess what? We need that physical health. You know, physical ailments have an incredible way of training us in spiritual things. They do. However, we need to sometimes knock off guff, things that are actually impeding our spiritual progression, and those are things that I feel very strongly we should stand in the authority of Christ and deal with. Number 10, abiding in joy, peace, and a sacred calm. Hmm. Number 11, evidence of the love of God in all words, thoughts, and actions. Number 12, unwavering in faith, persistent until the breaking of day. Number 13, a fervent and effectual spiritual wrestler, able to pray and see results in the natural realm. Number 14, a workman approved with the Holy Scriptures. Isn't it an interesting thought to think that it's not just the intellectuals that are supposed to be workmen approved with the Scriptures, but that all of us are given a grace to be workmen approved with the Scriptures? So don't buy the line, the guff, I'm going to call it that, that says, oh, you don't have the intelligence quotient to be able to do that sort of work. Oh, that's for special people in the church. They're they're theologians. No. Actually, all of us are called to be workmen approved, to rightly handle the Scriptures. That means that you've been given grace to do that. Number 15, endued with the power of the Holy Spirit, marked with the authority of Christ. If you don't have that power of the Holy Spirit in your life, well, then don't just accept the fact that it's not there. Say, Lord Jesus, I know there's more. He desires to mark your life as separate and as different than the world around you. It's interesting because even the word holy means other than. So this is the spirit that is other than the spirit of this world. This is the spirit that is totally different than we are. And when that spirit that is other than this world and other than we are moves in, what does it make us? Other than the world and other than we were. It changes us and that should be evidenced to the world around us, including to ourselves. Number 16, supernatural passion for the glory of God that you care, you want to fight to see that God is known in this generation, as opposed to just like, oh, I just don't have the fight for it. Have you ever had that blasé feeling? Where it's just like, you really don't care that much, even though you know theologically you're supposed to care? You don't really care about lost souls, you don't really care about orphans and widows, you're just sort of hanging on because you're so distracted with personal issues. God desires you to care about things far bigger than yourself. So if you're bottled up in your own cares, this is where God wants to touch you. He wants to say, no more guff. That's guff that's keeping you focused on you. Number 17, the ability to carry God's burdens, feel what God feels, and share in his Gethsemane. To actually be burdened with what burdens God. Could you imagine if you were so turned outward that you weren't thinking about what burdens you, but you were able to say, God, burden me with what burdens you. And so if he's weeping over someone in the world, you're able to weep with his tears for them. And that is something that demands the removal of guff. Because guff focuses inward, it turns us towards our own issues, as opposed to enabling us to actually carry the issues of God in this world. Number 18, strength to focus on others, able to carry the burdens of the weak and downtrodden, empowered to stand in the gap. Number 19, marked by audacity, boldness, courage, and daring. Number 20, able to rejoice in suffering and find pleasure in persecution. That's quite the list. And I guarantee you we could come up with a lot more if we kept working on it. However, what this is supposed to do is stir us 
to think and to realize that there is more than what we currently have. And then to ask us the question, so what are you going to do about that? And you can say, well, I don't know how to take it. Well, you couldn't take it in your own strength anyways, but you do serve a God who has promised to take it for you if you stick one foot in front of the other and start going after it. He's the one that fights for you. That's a promise. He's the one that defeats your enemies. That's a promise. However, he has invited us into this process to agree with his commission, to agree with his purpose, to agree with his movement so that we would be obedient. Obedience is so important in our spiritual lives. If you see something that's missing, pull a David and go after it. And don't accept no for an answer. Because I guarantee you the enemy will try and act like God and go, no, no, no. Don't buy it for a second. That's guff. No more guff. You take your playbook from the scriptures and you go after that territory that he has given you for your own life, for your own thoughts, for your own emotions, for your own health, for your marriage, for your family, for your uh, church. And then... Could you imagine if we are fortified and strong here? We are dangerous in this world then. We have something to give that will change the world in which we live. Ephesians 6.10. So here's our great secret. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is not just an encouragement for us to rally our own souls and to take territory that we couldn't take anyways in our own strength. But it's to put on that armor and to be strong in him. To actually wield his might in our battles. And when we fight his way, we win his way. And here's how we're going to finish. Joshua 23. You have seen all the Lord that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I've cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. I want you to think about all the guff that may be standing in your way right now, and just imagine that statement being applied to it. And the Lord God, your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. I don't care if it's been there your entire life. If this is in the territory of promise, take that territory. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, and lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. This is the equivalent of keep the back door shut. Do not let them into your living room. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. I like that line. That's, that's, a, that's a fun line. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you, as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God, or else if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, 
these that remain among you and make marriages with them and go into them and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Behold this day, I'm going the way of all the earth. He's dying. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things the Lord your God has spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Everything God has promised will come to pass. Everything he has told us will happen, will happen. And he has given us not just grandiose eschatological promises that he's coming again for us someday, and that his feet will rest upon the Mount of Olives and it will divide in two. Those are grand. And we will live with him forever and always. Those are grand. But he's also given us promises for this very body that we live in right now. And he will fulfill those. The question is, are we going to believe him? Are we going to freshly rise up as the church and say no more guff? We are not accepting this in our territory, in our own souls, in our own thoughts, in our own attitudes, in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, no more. This is God's territory, it belongs to him, Everything he's promised will be fulfilled if we are believers and we move forward and take the territory and the authority of Christ just as he has commissioned us to do. Father, we need your power in order to do this. This is not something that we do in our own strength. This is something you do in and through your strength. So show us how to participate in your triumph. Lord, train our souls to walk in stride with your Holy Spirit, to move in agreement with your word, to not take guff. Lord, for anyone in here that is struggling with just that noise of the evil one, I pray that that voice would be silenced in their life and that the voice of truth, the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of the word of God, the voice of Jesus would reign. And Lord Jesus, you would remove the cloud banks, the fog banks, and that you would bring clarity and order to our lives as believers, as individuals, and in our marriages, and our families, and in this church at large. Lord Jesus, we ask for this in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.